This is Sermons by the Park from Union Congregational Church in East Walpole, Massachusetts. I'm Pastor Aaron Shepherd, and I want to thank you for listening and taking the time to hear the message and the good news of Jesus Christ that we have to offer here at Union. Our current sermon series is called Courageous because faith in Jesus is not simply about what we believe, but about putting those beliefs into action. And that takes courage. Here's this week's message. The first scripture today comes from Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not withhold his own son, but gave him up for all of us, will he not with him also give us everything else? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through the one who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. May God add a blessing to the reading of this word. Second reading today comes to us from the Gospel according to Matthew in the 18th chapter, verses 21 to 22. Then Peter came and said to Jesus, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you join me now in a moment of prayer? Let us pray. Holy Spirit, speak now, for your people are listening. We come today to take a moment to hear and heed your presence in our midst. So God, I pray that you would help me to bring clarity and vitality to the word you are speaking here that you would help us to hear your vision and your purpose for our lives here today, that you would embolden us to be courageous followers of the way of Christ. Now may the words of my mouth and indeed the meditations of all of our hearts here be acceptable and even pleasing in your sight. O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. It was the Trinidadian-born German 
Europop singer Nestor Alexander Hadaway, known by his performing name simply Hadaway, who in 1993, with the help of producers Tony Hendrick and Karen Von Herren, first posed one of humanity's deepest and most enduring existential questions to the rhythm of a disco-inspired Eurodance beat, What is love? What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. What is right? What is wrong? Give me a sign. What is love? I know you can't hear that without starting to move your head to the side. You know, the song's minimal lyrics don't actually give us many hints to the answer to that question. But I actually think it's a good place to start. That love does no harm. It doesn't hurt. But also, it does. Anyone who's ever truly known love knows that it is a source not only of deep joy and fulfillment, tapping into our human nature as connectional social beings, ringing that bell in our hearts that makes our whole soul vibrate in tune with the universe. Love can do all those things, but it can also be a source of pain because the ties that bind in love are tight. And that proximity can make us vulnerable. Uh, love is risky. It doesn't always pay off. And that's why real love, I think, requires courage. As the excerpt from the poem by Puerto Rican author Esther Huerta on the cover of your bulletin says, to be deeply loved by someone gives you strength, but to love someone deeply, that gives you courage. Courage is the topic of the sermon series we are now in. Last week, we began with the simple observation that courage is not the absence of fear, but the ability to overcome fear and uncertainty and press on toward the goal in spite of risk and danger and doubt. I think it is right to speak about courage as an ability, a capacity that one has. In ancient Greece, the philosopher Aristotle called courage a disposition, an orientation towards the world that if we properly cultivate it, it can become a virtue. Aristotle called virtues excellences, marks of good character. Now, some people think that courage is something that just comes to us naturally, that when we were created, we were meted out with our share of courage, and whatever courage we have, that's what we have to work with in the world. But Aristotle didn't think that. He said that because courage is a disposition, that if we intentionally develop that disposition over time, it can become for us a kind of second nature, a habit, a part of our character that we learn and grow in. And I agree with Aristotle on this point. We may all have a different natural baseline for courageous action, but I think the capacity for courage, the basic capacity for this is in us all. And part of the life of faith is about developing that capacity for ourselves individually, but also together as a community. The same, I think, is true of love, because love deeply depends upon courage. It requires that vulnerability and self-sacrifice that we typically can only reserve for a few people in our lives. You know, a significant other, a spouse, children, parents, a cat or a dog or two. 
But Huerta's poem observes that loving deeply doesn't just require courage, it gives us courage. This is because the connection of love is not a one-sided, a one-way street. It's a reciprocal thing. It's like a circuit of energy and vitality that charges us up without wearing us down. At least that's what we hope love will be in our lives. The kind of love that we heard Paul describing in his letter as the love of God. The kind of love that is utterly inexhaustible, that can never be broken, that nothing can separate us from, even and perhaps especially in the midst of an utterly exhausting and separated and isolated world. The reality of our day-to-day lives, however, may not reflect this deep hope. It may more reflect uh, what Paul quotes from the scriptures about feeling like lambs being led to the slaughter. In fact, the more hopeless life seems, the less we seem able to perceive that truth of Paul's words, that the love of God is woven into the very fabric of reality around us, that it's so abundant to us that it's like water to a fish. We don't even notice that it's there, even though we depend on it for life. Instead, we worry over the many things that bring about separation and isolation that cause fear and hatred and death. We worry about the hurts that we hope will not hurt us anymore. And that's not to say that those hurts are an illusion or something like that. They are very real. In 2012, 13-year-old Gina Guzman Jesus was riding the bus to school, sitting next to her friend Jordan Howe. Jordan said he had something cool to show her, and he pulled out of his backpack uh, his stepfather's handgun. He first pointed at the floor of the bus and pulled the trigger, and nothing happened. Then he pointed the gun jokingly at his friend and pulled the trigger, and it went off, and she was killed. Her mother, Adi Guzman Jesus, was understandably devastated by this. So too were Jordan's parents, and remarkably, Addie had great sympathy for them. Jordan apologized. He pleaded in court for his crime, but he received a reduced sentence in part because Gina's mother had asked for mercy and that Jordan join her in a campaign to go around to local schools and talk about gun safety. Addie Guzman Jesus had every reason in the world to hate Jordan Howe, to hate his parents for being careless with how they stored that firearm, But instead, she chose to love them. She chose, she said, to forgive them, to forgive Jordan, because in forgiving him, she said she found peace, and she hoped her daughter would find peace too. See, forgiveness is the only thing that brings an end to the deepest hurts in our lives. But forgiveness is not as simple as that story may make it sound. It's never easy. It requires great strength and great courage. It requires courageous love. The Archbishop Desmond Tutu once told the story of growing up and seeing his father verbally and physically abuse his mother many times. Even as an old man, he could still recall the smell of alcohol and see see the fear in his mother's eyes and feel the hopeless despair that comes when one sees people that they love hurting one another. If I dwell in those memories, he said, I can feel myself wanting to hurt my father back in the same ways he hurt my mother and in ways which I was incapable of as a small boy. I see my mother's face and I see this gentle human being 
whom I loved so very much, who did nothing to deserve the pain inflicted upon her. And though this trauma was inflicted upon Desmond Tutu as a young child, he also received from an early age the strong spiritual sense of the grace of God. He said, I know my faith tells me that my father deserves to be forgiven as God forgives us all. He had learned that early, but it's still difficult, he says. Ironically, the easiest thing to do when we are hurt is to hurt back. It's almost like a reflex. It almost comes naturally in a way that we can't control. Almost. Hurting back rarely satisfies, Tutu concluded. The only way to experience healing and peace is to forgive. Until we can forgive, we remain locked in pain and locked out of the possibility of experiencing healing and freedom. Locked out of the possibility of being at peace. In this sense, forgiveness is just as much about freeing ourselves from pain as it is about freeing others from punishment. Because it defies the logic of reward and punishment, the French philosopher Jacques Derrida describes forgiveness as excessive. It's gratuitous. It is a gift that pushes beyond the logic of exchange and even beyond the horizon of redemption or reconciliation. Genuine forgiveness, he says, is a rupture from the logic of retaliation, of returning hurt for hurt. But that's precisely what makes it so freeing. That's precisely what makes it so empowering and also what makes it so difficult. Forgiveness cannot be demanded. It can only be given. And that's why it's good that we call to mind each week as we gather for worship that we have much to be given forgiven for. Each week we pray that unison prayer of confession together so we can lean on one another and acknowledge that we're not the only ones who are standing in need of forgiveness. We can acknowledge those hard truths together, yet immediately we hear. We hear the good news that God has given us forgiveness already, that the love of Christ is forgiveness, that it can empower and transform us in ways we only ever partly understand. In the Gospel reading, Peter is in full teacher's pet mode when he asks Jesus this question about forgiveness. Jesus had been teaching uh, just before this about how to navigate conflict within the community of believers. He'd been talking about confession and repentance and forgiveness. He'd been telling the disciples that they should be humble and also not allow the the sins of others to go unaddressed. Jesus said that when someone in the church hurts you or does something not in keeping with the gospel, that you should go to them directly and and tell them so. And if they confess their wrongdoing and, and repent from it, then you should forgive them. And he says, you have regained them as a friend, as a brother and sister in Christ. But then he says, if they don't listen, don't condemn them. But go maybe to two or three of the older, wiser members of the group and, and get their take on the situation. And if, if you can't work out the conflict with those older and wiser folks, well then, Jesus says, take it before the whole community. And if the one who wronged you still refuses to repent, Jesus says, treat them like a Gentile or a tax collector. In other versions of the story, it says, treat them as an outsider. 
Here's the catch. How did Jesus teach the disciples to treat Gentiles and tax collectors and outsiders? He said to love them. He said to love them as yourself, despite the fact that they are not lovable. Love them even when they don't love you back. So, so how are you supposed to do that? Well, this is why Peter is a good student. He figures it out. The answer is forgiveness. That's how you love people who are not lovable. But then he asked Jesus uh, about this practice of forgiveness. He wants a rule. He wants a limit. He says, right, seven times. That's enough times to forgive someone, right? The number is seven is significant there. In the Bible, uh, the number seven evokes the seven days of creation. Seven is about completeness. It's about wholeness. In other words, Peter is sort of asking, how, how much should we forgive people? Should we forgive them completely for, for whatever wrongdoing they have done? Seven times? And what's Jesus' answer? More. Not seven times, 77 times. Forgiveness like that is a tall order. It's impossible to think of it as something that you could demand or ask for someone to do. That's why when we hear these stories about people forgiving horrific wrongdoings, we are both inspired and a bit chagrined. Inspired because it is an amazing and wondrous thing, but chagrined because we doubt whether we could really forgive someone like that. But if you have those doubts, then here's the good news. That if you have ever stepped out of line from the way of God, if you have ever fallen short of the perfection of heaven, if you have landed on the wrong side of the scales of justice, if you have ever done any one little thing that together with all the other little things has added up to a great sum of things to be forgiven for, the good news is that God has seen all of those faults and failings and already forgiven them in a way that is more than you could even ask for. Not just restoring us to wholeness, but something even more than that, to life abundant. God doesn't do this because we demand it of God. God does this because that is what God does, because God loves this world, and God gave us the Lamb who takes away its sin. And so if God has shown such grace for you, then what are you supposed to do? I think the answer to that question is actually the same as the answer to the question asked in that pop song. What is love? What is love but what we do with the life-giving forgiveness that we receive from God? One thing I can say for sure about forgiveness is this, is that it is impossible to love someone if you don't if you have never forgiven them for anything. It's impossible to love without forgiving. I think you can be attracted to someone. I think you can be acquainted with someone. You can even be related to someone with all the outs outside signs and indications of what we'd call love. But until they have done you wrong and you have forgiven them for that wrong, I don't think it counts as love. This is why when I'm meeting folks for premarital counseling, I always ask the question, tell me about the last time you forgave your fiancé for something. 
And if it, if it takes a while for them to think of the, an example, then that's a moment to pause and think about what's really going on there. You see, marriage is a great space for exercising the practices of confession and repentance and forgiveness. It's a lifelong commitment. And so it's a lot easier for us to recognize that you can't just abide your spouse's faults and failures. You have to confront them. You have to confront them with a gracious and humble spirit, though, but to be able to speak about what hurts and then to do the thing that heals. In Luke chapter 7, Peter says to Jesus, Peter is talking to Jesus there about forgiveness, and Jesus says to him, whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And in that sense, I definitely love a lot because I have been forgiven a lot. (laughs) I think the same goes for the one who forgives little, though. I think the one who forgives little loves little. So if, if you've never forgiven someone, you're probably living a pretty loveless life. But I think it is the rare person who really goes their whole life without forgiving anyone for anything. It's the rare person who doesn't experience the freedom and the grace that comes with forgiveness. And so imagine then, imagine that you live a life that is shined on by the light of the greatest act of forgiveness the world has ever known. Imagine, imagine that you're not just inspired by the story of Adi Guzman or Desmond Tutu. Imagine an f- act of forgiveness 70 times greater. Imagine the great love that infuses that life then with strength and courage and grace. That's not something that's a fantasy or a dream. That is this life. Jesus not only taught us that the love and grace of God is more abundant than we can know, he showed us that grace. Every time he forgave the sins of some outcast or Gentile or tax collector. And then he said he passed on that power of forgiveness to us. So that forgiveness is not an impossible demand, as the philosopher said, but it's instead an opportunity to show the same kind of courageous love with which God loves the world. Now, I hope, I hope that you do not encounter any of the situations as traumatic and violent uh, as the ones that are often the starting places for the well-publicized stories of forgiveness. The, the shooting at Emanuel AME Church in Charleston, or, or Sandy Hook, or the West Nickel Mines Amish School. I hope that those events are not the events that prompt forgiveness in your life. And I also hope that the less well-publicized events are not ones you have to encounter either. The, the abuse from a parent or family members, a cheating spouse, the theft of personal wealth and well-being. I hope these things do not happen to you. But maybe they already have. Maybe you are already living with these traumas in your past, these hurts, these sins, these ruptures. But they too can be the beginning of a less well-publicized story of forgiveness. If you need to, you can start small. If you make forgiveness a daily practice, a good habit, an intentional disposition towards the world, not in a day, Maybe not in a week, but at some point, I guarantee that you will experience a change in your life. If you make forgiveness a daily habit, you will find not only the strength that comes from 
being loved by God, but the courage to love even and especially those who don't deserve it, but who probably need love the most. That is the kind of courageous love that God has shown to you. Go, therefore, and love like that. Amen. Thank you for listening. I hope that this week's message has been a blessing to you. It has been a blessing to share it with you. To learn more about Union, you can visit our website, churchbythepark.org, or you can follow us on social media by looking for at Church by the Park. Our theme music is by Anno Domini Beats. Until next time, may God's grace and peace.